coming to you from fabulous Las Vegas. The right side is the winning side. The late move is the correct move. Sports betting capital of the world. We all know when a sharp like me weighs in, the lines move. It's a party for your ears. <laughs> this is The Buffet with Chad and Scooch. I want to buy that guy a buffet. All right. It is The Buffet with Chad and Scooch. Savage Scooch is not available today, but I got something much, much better because I have uh, a good friend who also is probably the most talented radio host, and you could include sports and non-sports in that, working in the biz today. My former castmate at ESPN, who I was on a show with for two years, now at Fox, starring on all various platforms for Fox Sports, Mr. Colin Cowherd. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. We got so much exciting stuff to talk about because I you know. and I have been talking about sports betting in the mainstream space. Honest to God, we probably became friends in like 2011 when yeah. I moved with the magazine of Bristol. Yeah. And we would talk about it on your show. And then we were doing Colin's football show on Sunday, me, you and Tom Waddle, which was so uh, fun. So fun. Maybe the greatest professional experience any of us. <laughs> it still it still ranks as the most fun I've ever had in my career. It was so fun. I mean, that show, honest to God, you know, there are times, you know, because we are starting something brand new at Action Network and honest to God, like I am shooting this in our studio, which doubles as our conference room. And um, it is not all that dissimilar from the studio we had for Collins football show. It is like a converted closet. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a. I'm kind of a believer in if you can't be, we knew the show was never going to be. NFL Live. So once you know you're not, it wasn't a ratings play, what it was going to be is kind of an iconoclastic, weird, contrarian play. And we went into that show with a perfect mindset of let's do a show where a guy wakes up on Sunday and what would he laugh at? We had cartoons on that damn show. Because once, once you get out of the pressure of, okay, it's Sports Center 6, you got to get a rating. We knew we were on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. So once you're out of that space, you get all this freedom to just be goofy and funny. And I thought it was such a liberating, fun show. It really was. What was. The best part about it was there were times where I would be sitting with you at the desk or Waddle would be sitting with you at the desk or you would be doing your monologue. And people would just we would just start yelling at each other, like <laughs> catcalling either a comment. Or like there were so many times where I would like say something to you about a game. And we had this segment where like you'd ask me, what are the wise guys thinking? And I tell you if you were right or wrong based on your premise. And like Waddle would just come in from left field with the strangest comments as if like we were listening to him as if we were sitting in someone's living room. Well, it's it's the one thing I miss about doing local radio is that you could burn segments on just goofiness. And now every segment I do, I mean, it's charted, graphed, that there's a number to it. It's sponsored. So it's a, it's a bit reductive where you're doing the same kind of stuff and you have to talk about all the big brands, LeBron, Brady, NFL, NBA. But th there is a freedom that when you're not when you're not playing in the big rating space, that you can just be fun, and fun's an important part of our business. Do you ever get sick of having to play in the big rating space? Well, I do find 
again, the word I would use is reductive. I, I do find that once you go to television, and that's big boy business, and I'm in a spot now where you know I'm trying to get numbers. I'm I'm competing against a Goliath. Um, that I do the same topics over and over. It's my responsibility to make them as interesting as I can. But that's, you know, you can't do lacrosse topics. You you can't do uh, top ten sports movie topics. And some of that is good. You need that. You can do that in local radio. You can even do it in syndicated occasionally during the summer. But that you know, it's just part and parcel. You want to you want to play in the bigger space. That's that's what you got to do. You got to talk about mostly the big stuff. You've talked a lot about. I've heard you talk about this, and it was brilliant constructing a show sort of like there's a tree that you're creating and then there are sort of branches that come off it but you always sort of have that tree explain to people like what your philosophy is there in my philosophy for 20 years has always been when a hurricane hits the weather channel drops all the rest of its new well, its weather coverage they talk about only the hurricane uh msnbc only talks about trump um why do I have to talk about a bunch of stuff? It doesn't make any sense because when I go to a bar, a restaurant, a movie theater, a grocery store, nobody asks me about anything other than NFL, LeBron, and major topics. So I'm a believer in you have to go into shows with two trees, and the trunk is you know Brady if there's a controversy, and the trunk of the tree is LeBron. It's my job to create branches off each. But this idea that you can go into a show and have 12 topics, those shows don't get ratings. When LeBron goes to the Lakers, if he does, I'm going to talk about that for three hours for three straight days. The key is, can I give you seven branches, seven unique angles on it? But you know, the Weather Channel never has to apologize for staying on storms. Fox and MSNBC never apologize for staying on Trump. Why do I have to apologize because I don't cover regular season baseball, which nobody wants to talk about? So how much time do you have to spend thinking about what those seven branches are going to be? All day. It's my life. I do two and a half hours of prep uh, every day, which is, you know, three hour show, two and a half hours of prep. And I get in the car going home and keep a notepad with me at all times. And, you know, two or three times during the course of a day, if something pops in my head, I write it down. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean it's, I'm obsessing about it, but I always keep a pen in my pocket or near me. So if something pops into my head and I'm like, that's an interesting branch of that. But it's actually made my job easier over time because I don't cover 48 college football teams. I keep my eye on about eight, and I don't cover every NFL team. I keep my eye on about 10. Uh, I keep my eye on about six NBA teams and about 12 players. And it's an easier way to do it. And uh, this, this idea that you touch all the bases, it's just not true. Television is redundant, and it's repetition. That's just the reality of the business. That's what it is. Weather Channel. Fox, MSNBC, I think one of the problems with ESPN now, Chad, they don't know what they are. Are you doing journalism? Are you doing opinion? Are you doing highlights? At Fox Sports 1, we do strong opinions on a small number of topics, and we should never apologize for it. All right, so that is a great transition to gambling, because you and I have talked about this a bunch. Uh, You started doing gambling on your radio show long before anybody else was doing it. And you spoke about it. You're going to make picks. You're going to have people on who are going to talk about it. Um, then we did it on the TV show. And you've continued to do it at, at sort of in, in your new role at Fox, your relatively new role. Um, what do you think happens to your show 
And what do you think happens to the media writ large when gambling becomes a much more popular thing? You know, I have a theory on this, and I'm going to throw it to you. I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes made. So even when I do Blazing Five, I've always tried to make it entertaining. I want it to be good TV before it's good gambling. Now, I want to get my picks right. Don't get me wrong. I want to go three and two or four and one every week, and I take pride. I've never been below 55%. I did have one great year. I was like 62, but I try to be in that 55 to 61%, and I feel very – if I go three and two every week, I'm, I think that's about as good as a schmuck like me can do, and I do my homework on the picks. But I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes made. I think people are going to forget a, a tenant of television. Even the Weather Channel. Okay, let's go to let's go to the Weather Channel. The most popular person on the Weather Channel is Jim Cantore because he's the most entertaining. And even on Fox News, which does harsh criticism, Bill O'Reilly was the most popular because his show had the most little goofy, crazy things in it. Best word of the day, funny arguments. When you do these gambling shows, they've got to be good television first. Okay, don't give me numbers, nerds. Give me good TV people who who get the numbers, because the gambler is going to watch the stuff regardless. A golfer is going to watch golf regardless. When golf pops is when they have Tiger, when they have a TV star. So when these shows come out, everybody's going to be into the numbers, 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 numbers. The winner will be the the wildly entertaining TV personality who can figure out the numbers and talk so the layman can get it and guys like you can respect it. That will be the key in this space. Not getting the hardcore numbers guy, getting the guy that's funny, smart, and does get the numbers. And that's my belief, 10 years we'll look back, that the companies that go into really like, you know, super uber um, heavy gaming expert over entertaining person who can talk gaming, they will lose. You still have to entertain people. How's that how, for theory? How long? I like I like the theory. Um, I believe in the theory. I'm trying to execute on the theory with what we're doing. <laughs> Action Network, and you're you know. By the way, everyone's listening to the podcast ActionNetwork.com. Go to the Action Network to the uh, buffet page on iTunes. You subscribe. You rate. You review. You unsubscribe. You resubscribe. Let's push this puppy. That's all we can do is push. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's what I've always believed when I was doing it at ESPN. And now that we're doing it here, we're hiring people who know how to translate and keep people entertained and, and educate. You know, we're putting cheese on the broccoli. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's, uh, why, our, that's why our Sunday show worked. Because it was entertaining first and then give you real, real data. We used to keep your picks to the end. So it was funny. It was goofy. We laughed. We had cartoons. Yeah, but in the end, we got this really smart guy, Chad. And even with a sense of humor, you gave us real data. And so, you know, I, you know the other thing is I've always thought that I'm best served as a liaison between people like you who are really smart and the public. I don't want to be as uh, – first of all, I couldn't be as smart as you, but I don't want to be an expert in gambling. What I want to be is know enough. I, I want to be able to talk a little bit of your language. But I also, when I talk to you, Chad, want to say something that you go, God, that is such a, that is such a <laughs> mark. 
because I got to be a dope. I got to be closer to being a dope than an expert because I am the public. I am the consumer. So when I would bring you on the show and there were five picks, in two of them, you're like, oh, that's really good. Uh, that's pretty good. And then in two of them, I was like, whew, you're a mark. And then in one of them, we can go back and forth. But I've always felt my job in this gambling stuff, I'll be the mark. I want to be able to talk a little bit of gambling lexicon, but I don't want to become come across as expert because I don't think that's any fun for the consumer and the audience. They want to play, I want them to feel like they're kind of me, where they think they know a little bit more than they do, but they're certainly not an expert. I will say the most fun on the show was always when you would give me an opinion that I thought was just so awful. And I would tell you how awful it was. Your face and your eyes like would contort into the look, <laughs> and like Waddle would start yelling in the background, and also everyone in the control room would start yelling. And I'm like, I'm thinking, like, oh my god, that is a face that I don't think I could ever make. That's like well, a Jim Carrey face right there. Right? You know what? To me, the fun in it, and I've been doing the Blazing Five thing forever. The fun in gambling, which is really cool, I always learn something. I always learn something from a sharp. You're a sharp. And it's it's amazing. My instincts, There's two, I have two or three beliefs. The only sport I ever really care about betting would be NFL. I bet a few bowl games, but mostly NFL. And I've always had two or three theories, and they've served me well. Like my, Well, my first theory is if a team that was humiliated, if a team has a, a capable quarterback, I'm talking about, you know, like about 18 teams in the league. If they get humiliated on national TV, take them the next week. Because it's not college football where you get humiliated because you lack personnel. Teams are injured. Teams aren't prepared. The game plan doesn't work. If a Big Ben gets humiliated, if a Matt Ryan gets humiliated, always, always look for that number the minute it comes out the following week because the public sells very quickly on big TV games. If a team looks like crap on Monday Night Football, the public's off them. But that team usually comes back and plays their ass off. So that's just been one of my goofy theories forever, and it may mean nothing, but I have two or three little theories, and that's just one of them. You almost nailed the theory. You almost got it exactly right. Okay, tell me what the theory team, is. The big team that gets killed on national television, and you know the public is going to be betting against them. Fade, yeah. And you, that you, you got it almost there, and then at the very end you're like, and you know that team is going to come back strong because they got humiliated. That's not why you bet the team. You bet the team because the bookmakers are going to overcompensate because they know how they can set the line and they can fade that team in a way that makes it much more of an advantage for the sharp bettors to bet on that team because the, the, the point spread is just not going to be as much value um, on, the, on the favorite in that, particular, in that particular spot. That's why you do it. It's not because you think they're going to be more motivated. It's because the value is going to be in the point spread. It's priced better. Let me think of my other big theory I use. That's one of the – oh, here's the other one is that um, – that's my first one. Look very hard at teams that got crushed the week before as long as they have a capable quarterback. The second thing is there's always one really double-digit line every week, and I immediately take it off the board. That's the one game I refuse to bet. I just take it off the board because – they're trap bets, and I hate betting a game where I know I have to root for an inferior product. I'm not going to root for a 13-point dog to hit a field goal late. So I always take the 13-and-a-half-point spread. I'm like, I don't want to watch that game, and I don't want to have to ever, ever watch a crappy team hopefully cover backdoor. So my two rules, 
take a good team that gets smoked and just take the big double-digit number and throw it away. I refuse it. Now, that's a bad – because the truth is the underdog historically generally covers over 12 points, right? Yes. I should so, probably, that should be the first I bet. It's the one I, I always find it as a trap bet. First of all, I gave you like a golden nugget to elevate your first theory, and you just glossed over it and moved on to the second one as if I, as if I hadn't even said anything. It's like I didn't well, even get involved in the conversation. No, was, I, your, first, your first one was right. I consumed your take, uh-huh. and you were right, and I just <laughs> promptly moved and segued to a second take. I didn't belittle it. I simply consumed it and acknowledged that your your acumen is much greater than mine. I appreciate the consumption. I do. The second one is interesting because you're right. You're only like, to me, those are always the games that I look at first. Like, I'm going to look at that double-digit spread. I'm going to see that even though it's a double-digit spread, 80% of the money is still going to come in on that favorite. And I am absolutely 100% going to bet on that double-digit dog. It's like for years, you know, we used to talk about this show, and like every single week we would do this on the show. We would talk about the Jaguars. The Jaguars are 12-point underdogs today. The Jaguars are two touchdown underdogs today. And every single week you'd be like, how could I take the Jaguars? I'm like, everybody who's a wise guy is taking the Jaguars. Because historically that's where the value is going to be. That's just, it's, Covering two touchdowns in the NFL is a really hard thing to do. It's like covering 28 points in college football. Yeah, but then I'm stuck watching Blake Bortles three years ago trying to beat Pittsburgh. I just hate watching that. That's another reason I don't bet underdogs in college football. I hate rooting for crap. I hate having my money on crap. That's my dad's stockbroker advice. I don't, I like buying excellence. I like watching excellence. I hate betting on crap and hoping crap is just good enough to cover. I hate that. See, but I think that is a particular mindset of yours as someone who you like sports, but you are also practical and you think about everything we do from a consumerism perspective and as a product, right? Yeah. The way you frame your shows, whether it's television or radio, all of the businesses that you're invested in, um, you think about it, it's a very clear sort of consumer service oriented relationship. So you think to yourself, I wouldn't put on crap. No one's going to want crap from me. So it disgusts you to have to, <laughs> to have to put forth effort to watch crap or potentially lose money on crap. I think that is a, that is an entire sort of, you are offended by that sensibility. That's right. That doesn't make it a smart betting move. It's just, that is my, you know, I, my mom said something to me 30 years ago about my dad. She said, your dad's not really a – and I don't even know where this came from, but she goes, your dad's not really a, a quantity guy. He's a quality guy. And she said, your dad had three suits. They were gorgeous. He never believed in having 10 average suits. And we just got into this discussion. She goes, your dad had three cars in his life. He lived to be 75. He had three cars in his life. He was never – your dad believed in Spartan furniture, one nice house, couple nice suits. He wasn't a big consumer. He just believed in, you know, go on two vacations a year that are great, not four that are average. And so I think I got that a little bit from my dad. I'm not a stuff guy. Like, uh, you know, a prime example is I never, I try not to go on Twitter too much, except for to down to um, retweet stuff I've already done, edited versions of my TV show or radio show, because I think 
I don't think most consumers are on Twitter. My friends aren't on Twitter. The media is. So I think it's just a lot of noise with very little impact. So I, 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 I try to stay out. I, I always believe simple in a more complicated world, simplicity makes me happier. Like the world offers you a million choices. That's just more anxiety. I still have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich four days a week when I go home after work. Like the more complicated the world gets, the simpler I get. Peanut butter and jelly every four days. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's the same crap. Everybody, oh, I got to kale this and I got to kale that. I've never eaten fewer things than I eat now, and there's never been more choices. I think, all all I think, choices equal anxiety. And I don't like anxiety. So I, I talk fewer topics. I eat 8 to 12 things re, re, uh, on a repeat basis. I go to uh, – by the way, I have a vacation home. I mostly go to it only, uh, maybe one exception a year. My life gets simpler the more stuff I have around me. I don't even know how I got off into this tangent, but that's <laughs> – I, mean, I don't even know where – this is just the way that my show is. I just start rambling. I don't even know what I'm talking about. What else are you, what else are you eating other than peanut butter and jelly? I have oatmeal every morning with peanut butter and a kale shake. So do I, by the way. Oatmeal and peanut butter every day. Yep. I have a soup for lunch, mostly beans. I have a piece of fish or a piece of meat every night with a salad, one cocktail, watch a little sports, bed, rinse and repeat. (laughs) That's my life. That's it. I'm a very boring guy. Occasionally mix in this, this. I'm, I'm, I'm a very boring, boring. I'd be a terrible... There's a lot of jobs I'd be terrible at. You're at the pinnacle of your career. This is when you should be going out, blowing it all, like your kids are getting older. You've like got a nice, comfortable life. You should not be living the life, sort of a monastic lifestyle. I know. I, but I see myself... Um, listen, I'm not going to say... Um, I've never fantasized about wild, crazy lifestyle things, but that's just not who I am. It's just not my DNA. So, and I also think you start, uh, you start believing the hype, flying private, you start going too bougie and I think you lose yourself. And so I tell my wife this all the time is I don't want to, I don't want to be private. I don't want to be this, 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 I be among the people, relate to people. Media people make a lot of money. They put big fences up. I, I have neighbors jammed all over me. I'm at the dog park every morning. Um, I think you can lose yourself very easily the richer you get because you, the richer you get, the let you know you can have people do stuff for you. Like I go to the grocery store every day, every day. I know people that don't refuse to go to the grocery store. Oh, I'm going to have it delivered. I want to go there every day. Again, I don't even know how why I'm talking about this. I'm just talking. Oatmeal is not going to buy itself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, I got my wife texting me here. You got anything else, Millman? Yeah, I, I actually have the actual question, which is like, all right. if you play the segment You Bet Your Life, you talked about your dad. I know how important like family was to you growing up. Yeah. What was the biggest risk you took in your life, and what happened? I left college early, uh, about 12 credits shy. Um, I got the phone call. I went to the baseball winter meetings, got home. And the Las Vegas Stars, Don Logan, called me and said, do you want a job? And I looked at my mom and I said, I'm 12 credits shy. What should I do? And she said, I'm not going to tell you. She said, you're going to tell yourself what to do. And I left without a degree. And it was the best move I ever made. I, I bet on myself. I didn't think I was going to get that opportunity to go from 
college to a AAA announcing job. I mean, guys are in this business 10 years before they get to AAA baseball, and it was the best AAA city. It was Vegas. So I bet on myself, and I said, I'm going to leave college early, 12 credit shy, and I'm going to go sell minor league baseball, and I'm going to do an inning of play-by-play. And I just bet on myself, and it was the best move I ever made. Uh, I parlayed that into a TV job. Uh, I parlayed that into uh, a TV career and a radio career. And um, and I it really came down to a very simple thing. I just didn't think I would get that good of an offer at my age and my lack of experience. And I and I thought I can always go back to college. Las Vegas is never going to offer me a triple A play by play job. This is usually you end up in like Amarillo or Midland, Texas. I'm like I got to go for it. And it was a big risk. Like a lot of people were like, "What are you doing? You don't have a degree." And I was like. Dude, I can get a degree later. I can't get the Vegas job later. And it turned out to be some of my best friends were in that town. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself a huge risk taker, but that was a risk. Well, I would say you are a huge risk taker because when is the next time you didn't bet on yourself that you're like, God, that was a screw up. I should have totally done that. I think it, 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 it did something to me. It gave me confidence. And at the time, I didn't have a ton. I was just a goofy college kid, and I didn't really know what I was doing. And then when I succeeded, there's a domino effect, like, hey, I can do this again. And I did it about four or five more times in my life where, I, you know, like I left ESPN, they offered me a bunch of money. It was the big network, and I went to a startup, and it's been great. And so I think it, the, the more times you can succeed, it's like almost like playing the U.S. Open in golf. You want to start really good on Thursday because it lends itself to a good Friday, a good Saturday. If you really go into the tank on – if you shoot nine over on Thursday, you're screwed. It, and I'm a big believer in momentum, and it gave me kind of life professional momentum that it's been going ever since. Well, I know what it's like to leave ESPN to go work at a startup. Yeah. But uh, by the way, when you start kicking butt here and you already are, you'll, this will not be the last place in the world you work. My wife always tells me that now. She's like, you're a young 54. She goes, you think it's 74? You're going to be doing the herd? She goes, probably not. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Probably not. 74, you're just going to be hanging out in your house, eating oatmeal and kale all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Wondering, wondering, maybe I should have bet on those underdogs because I have so much more money. All right, Milman, I got to get out of here. I got to go and prep for another one of the shows I'm on. All right. Thanks for coming on, brother. I'll talk to you later. Chad Milman, ladies and gentlemen, support his causes. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.